It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, g'day and welcome, listeners, to the two Jacks. We're going all the all the way around the world. In fact, we're starting in Australia, where we always should start. And uh, then we're going to go all around the world with all the latest news and a bit of uh, a, a bit of opinion comes into it, or, or courtesy of myself, of course, Jack the Insider, and the other Jack, Hong Kong Jack. How are you, mate? Oh, cold here, mate. Cold. The winter monsoon's kicked on, and I've um, I've burned all the palings off the back fence. And I'm getting onto <laughs> the uprights, and the black over the back starts. He's muttering to me something about uh, common property or something. <laughs> <laughs> could carefully could be a soft sit. Now um, uh, you'll be you'll be. How's the electricity bill? You, you, <laughs> you won't be looking forward quickly. to that when it comes in. Uh, yes, bit bit breezy too in the Southern Highlands. I must say, uh, looked at the temperature at about seven o'clock last night. It was ten, and in that uh, bureau, uh, meteorological way, felt like six apparently, uh, with wind chills and what have you. We have not had much of a summer. Didn't have much one uh, of one last year, but uh, started to get ridiculous now. Now, look, uh, Jack, we want to kick this off, as I say, with, with some local news. And the Administrative Affairs uh, administrative Tribunal. Appeals Tribunal. Appeals, I should. Uh, administrative Appeals Tribunal is being shut down by the Albanese government, led by the Attorney General there, Mark Dreyfus. Tell me, what does it do? I mean, it started, I think it was Sir Gerald Brennan um, was the first head of the AAT, the father of Father Frank Brennan, the, the distinguished lawyer. Oh, yes. Um, uh, and um, it's meant to review uh, administrative decisions made by the executive branch of the government. Um, uh, and it can't review all of them, but it can review certain um, categories thereof. It, it oversees pay for parliamentarians? Is, is, that, is that part of its... No, no, that's the, re- no. that's the remuneration tribunal. I think oh, sorry, I, yes. I, I don't think that was subsumed into the... AAT, although a lot of the other tribunals were, the Social Security Appeals Tribunal, the Vet, Vet, uh, Veterans Review Board, um, and the tribunal on which I served for 10 years, the Refugee Review Tribunal, um, all became part of the AAT over the last 10 years or so. And it's been loaded up, uh, and, and of course we, we might remember just prior to the uh, the, the uh, election being announced, it was, it was another, I think, six or eight uh, Liberal Party appointees headed that way. It's just been loaded up with partisan hacks, basically, hasn't it? Well, there've always been people who are associated with the party and government appointed. Um, uh, that's certainly true. Just the numbers and the proportions have changed over the last ten years. It's become well, they, a bit they, of a picnic. They appoint, this is the, the Morrison government, they, they appointed someone to the uh, the AAT who uh, was ultimately had to be prohibited from making any um, uh, judgments, handing down any judgments on matters relating to vaccines because it, it transpired this person was, let's shall we say, to keep it nice and easy, an anti-vaxxer. Um, I mean that's that's the problem with with a group like this that if it becomes partisan it it, it ceases to you know, do its performance oversight rule. 
Yeah. Uh, it's been always a bit hard to, to classify who's a political appointment and who's not. Um, but uh, just some researchers have had a crack at it, and they think that the percentage of political appointments went up from uh, 6% under the Howard years to about 40% under the Turnbull <laughs> and Morrison years. That's a, and that's and a leaving, aside, hard, leaving aside the fuzziness of determining who's a political appointment, um, that's becoming a bit of a picnic and a bit of a rort. Um, mm. uh, I can say that I was appointed by a Labor minister, but was in those days you, you generally only got two or three or four-year appointments, um, but I, uh, <laughs> I was appointed there in 1994 and, and served on there until 2004, um, so clearly I was reappointed by Liberal governments as well, and mm. that's pretty, that was pretty common. Although at the end of that time, as the numbers of cases um, were dropping away, the Liberal government did get rid of nearly all of the Labor appointments, and I was no. one of them. So Yeah, so 40%, well, we're almost at half, 40%... Um, but with people making judgments who, uh, uh, who, who certainly were, are friends of the Liberal Party, Jack. Yeah, um, and that's, that's there's no problem with people who have got a political past being on the tribunal. <clears throat> and one of the things they're proposing is that it should all go to a merit-based appointment. And, um, and, and part of that process is there's always key people in the legal profession professional bodies and in the bureaucracy who think they should decide who goes on courts and tribunal. And that's because they want a whole lot of people like them and that's the wrong approach. You actually need people who are outside that process to come in and help the thing, help the decision-making process. So well, let me just take you back. Why would a civilian... Um, uh, go to the AAT, Jack. What would be the sort of trigger? Um, most commonly, um, it's because they've applied for um, a protection visa and been knocked back. That's the biggest proportion of their work, and right. it's the source of most of their backlog. Uh, and and that's a, something we can talk about another day as to how that's come apart. Um, yet another hole has been discovered in Australia's um, processing of refugee applicants. Um, and that hole has been, uh, the numbers have been pouring through the gap in the hedge, shall we say, and there are huge numbers of people. Um, uh, is, is that just because thousands, of caseload? Tens of thousands. Is that just because of caseload? Yes. Okay. So this is what uh, the Attorney General, Federal Attorney General, has said about the AAT. He says, the AAT's public standing has been irreversibly damaged as a result of the actions of the former government over nine years. He said the body had been fatally compromised by the coalition. And he went on to say this was a disgraceful exhibition of cronyism by the Liberal Party. Well, I don't think it's been permanently damaged. I don't think it's been done any good. But he is making a political point because what he wants to do is burn it down and start again. And that's not a bad idea. I mean, a lot of these bodies, the federal court has had been through a similar process where a lot of its work now goes to the federal magistrate's court. Um, because um, the, f the family court itself was sort of becoming a not quite fit for purpose. Yeah, but it's, it's raised all sorts of problems too, hasn't it? You know, and, and this is not on our list of things to discuss today, but, but uh, where, where family law um, uh, court determinations um, um, uh, are, are, not, are not really very suitable for just about any party involved. 
No, no, no I guess that's the nature of that problem. Everyone unhappy. Um, mm. People have asked me, um, have you ever had any interest in practicing in the jurisdiction? And I've always said no, because everybody walks away unhappy. There's not yeah. much joy to be had in a life doing that. You know? So uh, where are we going to go with this, Jack? Where, where, where's the reform going to occur? There's going to be a new body. There must be a new body arise from it. And you've talked yep. about the selection processes. Really what you want is people from all walks of life, aren't you? you, you, well, you want, not from all walks of life, but you need a, a bit of a variety of people. And to be honest, you can't always tell when you appoint people who's going to be any good at it and who's not. And that, the same is true of the courts. Yeah. Okay, it, so it, 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 it looks like it. Some people, it looks like the job sh- looks like it should suit them, and they get there and it doesn't. You know? Right. So the decision to scrap the AAT uh, apparently has been long considered. But I'm, I'm just wondering, and we're just going to, you know, basically just uh, just just sack all the. Uh, well, they they, they have the um, they have the. Uh, Status of stipendary magistrates, don't they? Uh, those uh, similar, who, yeah, similar. Yeah. Uh, and, and and it's just is it just a matter of the easy way of just cleaning out uh, the cronyism and then start again with a few more <laughs> cronies? Is that what uh, is that the way w- it's going to w- go? W- with a better balance, perhaps. Um, that's right. pretty much what's happening. And and, uh, and, and and there also needs to be some tidying up in the administrative um, process of the of the tribunal itself. Um, uh, how do you better deal with backlogs? How you better uh, organise your hearings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That 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 always needs some periodic tidying up. Um, so you do the two things together. Um, you uh, you get rid of the the current sort of overstacked um, uh, membership. You tidy up the administrative arrangements and you start again. And uh, overseeing that uh, task. Uh, Jack is a, a task force led by former High Court Judge Patrick Keane, mm. um, and uh, and so it, it at least has the the, the sounds of a hands off uh, government. Um, uh, Shadow Attorney General Julian Lisa has, has accused Labor of wanting to start a new body from scratch to stack with its own people, which is what I cynically suggested might be the case as well. Um, um, but uh, at least there is uh, the appearance of, of an independent uh, review. Yeah, look, at, um, it, it needs to happen every now and again, and it will, and it's all okay. It's big bucks, mate. You know, you would remember this wealthy man like yourself. You'd remember that, you know, like the the, 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 the people who sit in, in, in hearings, they're on... Gee, from from memory, it's uh, it's definitely definitely six figures, but in the three, so sort of three hundred thousand dollar a year type of salary. It's gone up a bit since my day, mate. But uh, um, I I, uh, <coughs> I did enjoy the petrol card. <laughs> free car, yeah, you can't go past the free car. Now we've uh, we we really want to have a, an expanded discussion today on the voice and. Uh, um, the Langton Karma Report is out now, Jack. Um, I could read through um, um, uh, the executive summary and the recommendations, um, but um, uh, they are really just sort of uh, motherhood statements, aren't they? Um, um, I think the more people who read the, um, the Langton Karma Report, the less chance there is the referendum will pass. Well, it's just written in such a... Look, I've got a lot of time for Marcia Langton, Really, enormous amount of time for for uh, her contribution to uh, Indigenous Australia um, uh, through the fairly lofty 
uh, through the fairly lofty uh, uh, areas of uh, academia. But this really is, I mean, I, I did read the report, or at least the executive summary, which runs three or four pages, and, and, and really it's just, as, it, it's just not clear. I mean, at, at the end of it, I'll just give, I'll give our listeners a, a, an idea. This is some of the recommendations, uh, um, uh, recommendations of the Australian government from the Langton Cum report. Progress an Indigenous voice by implementing the local and regional voices and national voice proposals as set out in the final report. That is the Langton Cum report. Recognise the important the importance of involving all levels of government in local and regional voices and seek to negotiate formal commitments as soon as practical. Uh, Recognise the importance of ensuring sustainability and security for an Indigenous voice. Uh, Recognise the need to continue in partnership uh, to uh, progress, uh, progress implementation and recognise the need for a comprehensive communication strategy to support community under understanding. Now, look, it goes on. There's there's a couple more recommendations there, Jack, but that's 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 as clear as mud to me. Uh, it, it, when I, I read the whole thing, um, and you you think you're reading a a report from a management consulting firm. That's what it's read like to me too. Lots of buzzwords in there. Progress. Progress is a verb. Um, yeah, lots of lots of stuff like that. And and, and I but, came but away more, just feeling more, a bit unsatisfied. More importantly, I think having read the whole thing, um, there are two problems um, with the voice that that will need to be addressed, in my opinion. Uh, the first is that there is no plan to work out how the the members of the membership of the voice will be selected or elected, and it's not clear which it would be. Yep, you're a, you, you, you you're in the seat of MacArthur, aren't you? No, Whitlam. Whitlam. Yeah, it's a bit like telling the good people of Whitlam, look, we'll leave you alone, and you sort out who should who your local member should be, um, and that that just can't work. And the second problem that I see, having read the Langton Karma report is that as envisaged, it is not just that the voice makes a recommendation to Parliament, but um, it also can insert itself into every level of the executive branch of the government. Well, that's not clear from these recommendations. No, it's not clear, but that's that's how it reads to me. Um, And my view of that is both of them will become an absolute lawyer fest. So so when this... When, when this report calls for local and regional voices and a national voice, so that's the first thing that caught my eye, that there was actually a, a, a structure, and now whether it's an elected body um, or, or, some, a, or a selected body, or a selected body uh, that works at a local level, then at a regional level, so we can take this as to mean local, state and federal. So the three tiers of government will have advisory groups either elected or selected. Um, yeah. Let's and, go. And let, worse than that, um, worse than that, that's complicated, but worse than that, the way I read it, is that each of those levels should be working with the executive branches of those of that, that level of government. So not just with the, the elected politicians, but working with the public servants. Yes. Um, and that's an absolute lawyer fest because then you're going to have every public servant who um, it'll be great work for the AAT. Every, every public servant who <laughs> doesn't, doesn't exist make anymore, the decision Jay, it doesn't that the exist. voice 
that the voice likes can go off to the AAT and say, you didn't give proper consideration yeah. to... Right. Um, uh, to X, Y, and Z, yeah. Yeah, X, Y, and Z. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, um, and, you know, that's going to be fabulous for the legal profession, but for nobody else. Not that there's anything wrong with that, Jack. There's nothing wrong with that, necessarily, <laughs> yeah. No, look, I'm, I might come back to Australia and hang out in the shingle again. There's going to be plenty of work in that. The, the, um, uh, let's get to this, to this issue about election as, as opposed to selection. There are a couple of things that ring out to me that, you know, that, that I've got sort of skulls and crossbones over them. If there's going to be an election, and I, and I think it's unfair to go back to the old ATSIC body and, and look at that as a parallel, but, but if there's going to be an election of, of officials who are going to report to the federal government, representatives um, who are going to report to in this sort of um, um, uh, this body, uh, extra par- parliamentary body, on legislation that that uh, that impacts and, and government and, and, and policy more generally that that impacts on indigenous laws. Surely the Australian Electoral Commission must oversee that. And then we have to have it's not just a matter of ticking box. But you, you, do we have a broad election? A, a more or less general election where everyone can vote, or do we have uh, do we have uh, Indigenous Australians only voting on that group? If there is going to be an electorate, certainly I would think it's an absolute must that the Australian Electoral Commission must oversee it. And then you would need a register of voters, and then it's a question yeah. of who, who gets then beyond gets the messy. register of voters. That 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 could mean anyone who's ticked the box on the Medicare form, mate. Yeah. Uh, and look, there is there is a definition of Aboriginality in Australia that's accepted, mm. and that is basically um, a grandparent. Um, uh, and, and I've got no problem with that definition. But uh, how how um, a, an oversight electoral body like the AEC would 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 uh, would oversee it? I, I just can't see how that body can be created. So I get to the point there that it won't be an election, Jack. It'll be a selection. And then it's a question, whenever you have a selection, it's a selection by whom? Mm. All right. Now, there so, are a few... So, I came away after having read the Langton um, um, Karma report uh, a little bit troubled by it um, and, and thinking that there's a lot more work to be done before this should be put to the people. Yeah, I certainly got that view too. Um, and can you please... Uh, when when we're when we're considering these things, can you please write them in a in a sort of coherent way? <laughs> leave leave the McKinsey chaps away, out yeah, of the job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, uh, we, we do know former uh, former uh, High Court Justice Ian Callanan has popped the uh, popped the typewriter away from his racy novels, Jack. Very very racy they were in their time, uh, and he's become a bit of a critic of that uh, he says it is always better to hear all of the arguments before deciding a case well yeah, yeah well yeah that that may, does make sense Ian. in the recent past at least government has funded both an argument for and an argument against the, the case in a referendum for a change to the constitution that is apparently not to happen here rather there is to be a public education program on the issue the expression public education has an ominous orwellian sound to me i won't go on um but uh, so ian callanan is saying that we that uh, i'm not quite sure what he's saying is the government has to put forward it should put forward a um an argument for and against 
Well, he's a lawyer, so he would say that. Um, uh, that, that that's how the law works. And a racing works. novelist. Yeah. And a racing novelist. But that, that's how it works. Um, he, he did make two good points in the, in the broader article. One is that as, as presently envisaged, it will be a lawyer fest, and I agree with that. Um, and he makes the second point, which I also agree with. That's not a good idea because in his view, despite having been a lawyer for a long time and served on the highest court of the land, um, he, um, he didn't come to the view that lawyers were the best people to decide this. Or, or as I put it, I don't believe the priestly caste of lawyers are the right people to be running the country. Look, we talked about this from the outset, Jack, and, and the need to communicate with all Australians, and we're certainly not getting that from, no. the, the, from the voice at the moment. Um, and, and it needs to be clear and it needs to be concise and it needs to be coherent. Um, uh, <clears throat> and so we will know, so this is what we need. If we're going to vote on, we can't vote on things that are in the nebula and then leave it to be sorted out afterwards. Um, we, we, we need to consider constitutional recognition. We need to consider the makeup of the extra parliamentary body. Um, as I understand it, those are the basically the two. Um, well, one thing can be done: the the, the the makeup of the extra parliamentary body can be created without the need for a referendum. The other one is it, we just need a form of words, a form of words uh, that will uh, that we, that we can basically use as a uh, as a method to vote on. My view of this is that there's going to be one chance. Now and there yeah. won't be another won't be another chance now for you know for for, for ten years, um, so it's got to be got right. And at the moment, I'm not confident. Minimum. I'm not confident they're on the right track. Ten minimum, and if you get it wrong, I mean, what do we say? What do we say to Indigenous Australia? Yep. You know, I mean, it, it, it is so important to get this thing right, and we really do need some better communication. We need some better communication from Linda Burney, and we need some. Uh, uh, better communication from uh, the Indigenous uh, leaders in the country as to what exactly is being proposed. Yeah, well, I think they've got to sort out what's actually being proposed. Yeah, there seems at the to moment, be some I don't, That's not clear at all. What do you reckon? Just just push everyone else out of the road and let Noel Pearson talk? Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I think that's the best way to go with Indigenous affairs. Anyway, no, it has to be done collaboratively. <laughs> Well, Noel Pearson is a bit of a bulldozer, isn't he, really? Yeah, yeah he doesn't mess around. doesn't yeah. mess around. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, he'd, have yeah. ma- he'd have made an excellent half-back flanker in a final series. Oh, and uh, give you a spray too. Give you a spray yeah. too on, on while you're leaving the ground. Um, yeah. Now, Jack, uh, as I've always been suggesting, salads are incredibly dangerous. Uh, I tend to avoid <laughs> them. Uh, but uh, <laughs> all jokes aside, eight Victorians are ill after eating supermarket brand contaminated baby spinach, the worst of all salads, Jack. Um, and it's containing ha- and hallucinogen. Um, and it makes me think that some people have been eating, dining on the salads, and perhaps may not know about it. Uh, <laughs> might have been a few. Uh, might have been. <laughs> If you would at Melbourne watching the uh, Melbourne Victory going around, Jack, they might have been on the salads over the weekend. We'll talk yeah. about them later. Well, 
Well, well, personally, I always think if you if you go to a steak fruits joint, you eat the steak and the fruits and make it, and you push the salad around the plate a little bit. You know, you do, yeah. you do. You get you get the cream yeah. spinach and you poke it with a fork, and then you just leave it for the waiter to take away when yeah, you, when, yeah, when you're yeah. done. The um, uh, I must say, this has been happening in the US for quite some time. For the last uh, five or ten years, there are regular announcements of um, pre-washed salads that um, uh, cause illness. Yeah, you, know, you can say the, the, the problem. It's generally, the, problem the wash that, rather than the salad that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. So the, the, the problem is that the, the, the salads that cause the illness are the ones you buy in a bag or in a little plastic container that are supposed to be free, but pre-washed. So you just tip them out of your bag into the salad bowl, dress yeah. them, put some tomatoes on them, and away you go. Mm. Um, the trouble is the washing process is the, uh, the, the people who are paid to wash this. Um, are not always working at their best. Well, they, <coughs> it might be too that the the quality of the water that's used yeah. to, to wash them might not be entirely uh, hunky dory as well. We did have a, a major problem with a frozen um, fruits um, uh, berries. Uh, yeah, same problem really. Uh, and and that was leading to you know hepatitis. Um, so very profound and enduring problems for people who picked it up. Um, and so uh, I guess the answer is if someone passes you the salad bowl at Christmas around the Christmas table, Jack, just knock it on the head. Say, I'm right, thanks. Just give me yeah. some more turkey. Yeah, my, my, that's my been doc- cooked at 350 degrees. Yeah, well, my doctor advises against, uh, against salads. Um, uh, and uh, I think the lesson really is that if you're going to buy these pre, pre-washed salads, Tip them in the sink. Give them a bit of a give them a yeah, bit of a, a scrub. Yeah, yeah, and uh, let them let them uh, let them air dry. Um, yeah. And look, it uh, it just tells us what would have, what what would Popeye have done, Jack? He would have been on the baby spinach, got in, get on, you know, developed that incredible uh, physique. But well, then I he'd think be tripping I, off I think his nuts. Full, I think he ate the full grown spinach. In a, in a yeah, he got it out of the tin. No, yeah, no, yeah, that's yeah. A, that's how you, that's how you got it. But yeah, the, the, the baby spinach would be he'd just be off his face. So, uh, yeah, uh, I do notice uh, I was down at the supermarket uh, Saturday and uh, a number of the, uh, the the plastic bags had been removed and a few signs up and what have you. And yeah, well, um, a very busy day, actually. We actually get quite a few of our bag salads here from the United States. So I've been following this story for, for years and and learnt my lesson from that a while back. Um, the, the stuff that does, doesn't come from the United States tends to come from the mainland. And I'm not sure you'd trust that even anymore, would you? Mm, no, possibly not. Yeah. Okay. So stick with the meat and two veg this Christmas. Yeah. Um, Robo Dead. Jack, uh, I uh, watched uh, Scott Morrison give evidence uh, at the Royal Commission. I couldn't get that. I would have loved to have seen that. Oh, my Lord. Uh, <laughs> it was a reminder. It was a reminder if we needed. <laughs> Gee, it's good to be rid of this bloke. It took him 20 minutes to clarify his initial answer, which was no, um, and, <laughs> and proceeded to, you know, to to the chagrin of the uh, the Royal Commissioner, uh, proceeded to basically, you know, sort of anticipate questions and uh, refer to notes that he wasn't supposed to have. Uh, and uh, and in the end, uh, it was a, a long and drawn out exercise over nothing. Uh, as I understand it, the, the 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 problem is, or well, not the problem, but the finger pointing is either going to the bureaucracy, 
uh, one, um, the, it was a DHS or DSS, I can't remember which one. They were supposed to, uh, um, uh, pro- provo- they provided a report to the minister uh, and the minister for DHS at the time uh, that said that if we're going to go with go ahead with this robo debt idea, then we will have to the government will have to address it legislatively. It will need to it will require legislative change. Mm. Then they came back with a report about three months later with no mention of any requirement for legislative legislative change. And that's given at least people like Scott Morrison and one or two others the ability to say, well, it was the bureaucracy what done it, Jack. Is that your reading on it? <laughs> that seems to be what's happening. But it's the old story, isn't it, that a, a, a great idea has many parents, a bad idea is an orphan. <laughs> yeah, this is a terrible idea. And the, and the bureaucrats, to be fair, they've just gone, well, well, you know, well, we thought it was going to be okay. And, and it's just awful. I mean, we can trivialise this as much as we like. It led to extraordinary levels of anxiety with people being hit. You know, you, if you were a welfare recipient five or six years before uh, hand, and all of a sudden you were getting a notice saying, uh, you know, basically on 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 a um, uh, on on an analysis of your income through the ATO, so the DSS was accessing ATO, right? Yep. ATO, um, um, and, and taxation finance, and taxation returns, and so forth, and and then through that annual income was able to apply this on a weekly or fortnightly basis and, and then then turn around and send out a letter saying you owe us a lot of money you owe us six grand two grand five and fifteen hundred that sort of thing and yep. for people in low incomes obviously that created a great deal of anxiety um, and we know where it's all ended it ended with a 1.5 billion dollar payout um, and, uh, and 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 one of the most sort of shameful episodes of government overreach you could imagine. Indeed. And now apparently no one's to blame, Jack. Uh, I love the statement from one of the public servants. The department was faithfully implementing, as, as it is our job to do that, once it became apparent that these debts weren't validly raised, the program ceased, which was good. <laughs> so no, no harm done, except for... Yeah. Well, many, many suicides, a great deal of grief, uh, and and, uh, and targeted really at, at uh, lower socioeconomic uh, groups. Just and no one wants to put their hand up and say, "I was the I was the lawyer who gave the advice that this was okay." Yeah, that's the no, thing. That's no one's going to put their hand up for no that. No one, no one is going to put their, even though they might be called to question. Like the, the bureaucrats have just uh, dissembled. Um, uh, Morrison, we just talked about here. Um, uh, uh, the former foreign minister, uh, who was the head of the DHS, uh, she was um, um, uh, she was uh, um, uh, uh, not not a member of cabinet at the time. I'm just trying to think of her name. Large woman, red hair. And, Maurice Payne. Uh, Maurice Payne. Thank you. Yes. And Maurice Payne gave evidence there when she said, "Well, I don't know." So who 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 provided that advice? I don't know. And that advice is that. There was no legislative change required, which is mm. where it all fell over. Mm. So, one minute, one minute, the DSS is saying you must get, uh, you must change legislation, and uh, and Morrison read all those reports, as did Maurice Payne, who was a junior minister, and then the advice was 
that, that the advice excluded any recommendation or advice to um, to make legislative change, and they just went ahead with it. Who made yeah. that change? Who I don't know. No, no one seems to know. Even though she wasn't in cabinet, she would have been in the cabinet room when these things were. That's discussed right. And yeah, that was that think. was actually made clear in the hearing um, yeah. that uh, at, 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 well, when they when they attended the expenditure review. Uh, com- a committee, which is a senior um, senior cabinet members, that she was actually in the room when it was discussed. Yeah, that, that, that's the way the cabinet works. If, if if you're a junior minister and something affecting your portfolio um, uh, is on the agenda, um, you sit out in the corridor and wait until your agenda item comes up, and you you were in the cabinet room as well. Yeah, and and that was the case with the expenditure review committee as well. She basically waited outside and then she went in. Uh, it all just anyway, seems- anyway, Jack, we had this Royal Commission sorted out uh, weeks and weeks ago. We said we that they're going to we decide did. it was a lousy idea and badly implemented. <laughs> Pretty much, that will be that will be the report, Jack. You know, although it will run several volumes more than just that, uh, uh, but in the end, it'll be no one really. Oh, look, there'll be a number of other ministers who'll go forward. Uh, I would think will give evidence before uh, this Royal Commission wraps up. Um, um, uh, <coughs> Stuart Robert will be one, um, and and, uh, and of course we've got uh, uh, the uh, current education spokesperson for the coalition. Um, what's his name, uh, Jack? Um, <coughs> uh, who, who, the one who actually got on radio and said, "If you if you're guilty." You know, come forward now, otherwise you'll you'll go to jail. And and, and uh, you know, the bloke have had all sorts of problems with um, with his uh, with his with his um, um, uh, with his uh, media advisor Jack. He had a bit of an affair with her. Uh, I'm just I'm going to say Teague, but it's not Teague. Barney, Barnaby Joyce. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, um, oh, um, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ra- Rachelle Miller's bloke. Yeah, that's right. So he, he, he'll he be up before it too and crikey. Alan Tudge. Tudge, not Teague. Alan Tudge, good Lord. Sorry, listeners, that was terrible and having a bit of a moment, a bit of a Christmas moment there. Um, but, yeah, he'll be he'll be before them too. And I would think the first question I'll be asking him is, where did you get that, inf- that information that people will be going to jail? I mean, that just mm. heightened the response. And seriously, why that guy's still in politics has got me beat. Meanwhile, Jack, on the other side of things, this is always enjoyable to watch. The Greens are having a blue. And yeah. it, it would seem that the Victorian... <laughs> Victoria, you can't govern yourself. You don't be expected to run. You can't be expected to govern the country. That's, uh, that's the way I always look at the Greens. Um, and, uh, and this... Uh, relates to, we'll get on to the topic in a moment, but there is some suggestion that the Victorian Greens will be expelled from the National Party, Jack. And just, mm. to, ex- just to explain to our listeners, the Greens are a state-based organisation. So you've got WA Greens, you've got Tasmanian Greens, New South Wales Greens, Victoria, etc. And um, and and, that, and the, the, the great body, that national body, um, really is in many ways subservient to the state's uh, and uh, and and generally speaking, the states uh, tend to fight a fair bit between themselves. The New South Wales uh, state Greens are a very different 
uh, kettle of fish to the Tasmanians, for example, who are essentially green conservatives. Uh, they're, they're environmentalists. They're environmentalists in the traditional sense, yeah. Mm. But this is over um, uh, a failure, a perceived failure among the various state Greens uh, uh, parties of the Victorian branch to get its house in order over trans policy, Jack. Well, it's part of the uh, sort of worldwide battle all around the Western world battle between the trans activists and the TERFs. And personally, I don't want to touch the argument at all. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is just got, it's got, it's just, it's, it's got barbed wire and razor ribbon and yeah, all sorts yeah, of stuff yeah. all so, over so it. We're, we're not going to go any of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not going to go any of that. Um, I, I would just make this comment. Um, the reason the Greens have these problems, in my view, is because they absorbed uh, the worst of the Maoist and the socialists and the Soviet factions in the old left. Well, they, in, they, in, they all they all became part of the Greens. In and New South Wales, taken their habits no with doubt. Yeah, in in New South Wales, that is definitely uh, the case. I mean, you know, for a long-serving senator with the Greens was Lee Rhiannon, and and uh, you know her, her conservative uh, credentials, you know, would 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 end at you know watering a pot plant, you know. Uh, <coughs> conservation credentials, I should say. Well, well, well she's, 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 she was part of the old Soviet faction. Yeah, she know? was. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah. she used to used to bang out a Soviet newsletter that was funded by the Kremlin uh, through the through the sixties and seventies. I think she went to the Patrice Lumumba University for a while in Moscow. Didn't she, she might have. She might have put in a year. She's definitely spent a fair bit of time in uh, in yeah. the Soviet yeah. Union. So, her, so her parents were old comms, weren't they? Yeah, Browns. They, yeah, yeah. yeah, of course they were. They, 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 were, all, they were all old comms. Um, so it's because of the presence within various state branches of the party of both the old Soviet faction and the Maoist faction that they behave like the old Soviet and Maoist uh, factions did in the Labor Party. So they lack transparency, they lack accountability, and they absolutely resent any public scrutiny. Oh, that's right. That's the other thing. So when you have a Green State Council meeting, Jack, it's often held in a big hall. There might be a couple of hundred people here. Yeah. No media, mate. No one's allowed inside. No, no one's. You've got to sit outside and wait, and they'll come up and they'll have... You know, and there might be blood and teeth and hair in the walls yeah. inside the building. They'll come out and say, well, we've just had a beautiful day, a beautiful meeting, and everyone is uh, uh, full of harmony and peace and love. Those of us who spent a lot of our youth in the Labor Party recognise this. <laughs> well, at least you'd see the blood. That's the thing. Yeah. At least you'd see, you'd see a, few, a, few, a few bit of biffo going on. But, uh, but the Greens don't like that scrutiny. Um, just on this particular t topic, I just pulled this out. Prominent Greens member, including uh, pro prominent Greens members in the state branch, including Melbourne City Councillor Rowan Leppert and Linda Gale, have expressed worries about the party's policies. This is in this transgender issue. Uh, Gale has raised concerns about the policy implications for the rights of non-trans women in sport. Uh, it's a very hot topic. Intimate medical procedures, domestic violence shelters, hospital wards and prisons. Her election this year as Victorian Greens convener was overturned amid a social media-driven backlash. And that's all getting back to that transgender turf sort of issue. Yeah, and the consequences, of course, of the Victorian branch being expelled from the Greens would extend to the federal parliament because that would put the Greens leader, Adam Bant, the member for Melbourne, in a difficult position because... Um, 
it would appear from so far as we are can can glean what the Greens' rules are because they're very obscure, well, opaque. Yes, <laughs> they're very opaque. Um, that if he's not, if the Green the Victorian Greens are expelled, he can't be the national leader either. He would have he would have to be the leader of the Victorian Greens. Yes, that would be it. Mm. Uh, two members, I think. Only the two. Um, and, uh, yes, so that would be very, very interesting. It, it is, uh, it must be said, so, uh, some of the Greens are saying, no, this has not been raised as an issue, the expulsion of the Victorian branch. Um, but clearly it's being talked about, Jack. Um, so uh, uh, peace and goodwill to men has been suspended uh, within the Greens for a week or so while they have a bloody Christmas. Yeah, indeed. Always good fun to watch when the when the when the Greens are having a brawl. I feel a column coming on, Jack. I do yes. enjoy them. Um, okay, uh, now we're going overseas and uh, and, to, and to China and and this continued problem uh, with COVID lockdowns uh, and extreme um, extreme measures to reduce uh, the the, uh, the the flow of uh, of COVID into their big cities. Well, it seems at the moment that they're moving to open up, and good news for Hong Kong, they're talking about um, perhaps as early as next month, perhaps even before Chinese New Year, which is early this year. It's in uh, late January. Um, normally the, around the, Australia Day, and it does vary. But yeah, yeah. yeah, it's normally later than Australia Day, but it's actually actually on Australia Day this weekend, this, right. this year, next year. Um, uh, but... Um, uh, there's talk about opening the border again, which would be great news for Hong Kong. No date set yet? No date, um, but there's certainly plenty of gossip about that. Um, uh, Hong Kong University uh, scientists have predicted up to a million deaths as China opens up and um, removes the COVID restrictions. Um, uh, my guess is that is that's Probably about right. If they, uh, right. If China, if China ended up with big number, um, Jack, it's a bloody big it's number. A, it's, a, it's a big number, but it's a big country. There are one point four billion people over there. Um, oh, and, uh, I thought you were. I thought it was uh, predicting deaths in Hong Kong alone. No, no, no. Right. no oh, across no. In, in across China, China. In China. Okay. Um, uh, and you know, if, if they had the, the the death rate, say, of the US or the UK, there would be a number much higher than that. Be two or three plus. Mm. Mm. Um, if they had the same as, say, Japan or Korea, there would be half a million deaths. Um, right. And, and that there will be deaths is certain because all of the lockdowns do, wherever they've been done, is kind of kick the problem down the road. Yes, we still, I mean, you know, we've still got major issues with, with COVID in this country, particularly around aged care facilities, but there are a lot of people in hospital. Um, but... We do have a stock, and, and, and certainly we well and truly put lockdowns and so forth behind us, but, but we have access to antivirals right? uh, and access to th- third and fourth COVID boosters. And then, uh, then again, there are uh, other drugs that are coming onto the market now that will require a sort of one jab only approach. Um, uh, and 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 you know, I, I understand. Look, our fourth COVID booster numbers are terrible. You know, uh, in Australia, I don't know what they're like in China. Yes, um, and, and of course they're they're not using the mRNA uh, vaccine. Right, that's the Sinovac, the Sinopharm, and Sinovac vaccines. Mm. So yeah, look, the um, uh, the numbers. Don't open up. The, the, I mean, the, the pressure. Very, 
the numbers look very frightening, but it is a very big country. Um, the, uh, and the, the, the pressure must be, must be forming on the Politburo on, and, and on the president that, that they can't get their economy rolling while these, while these lockdowns and hard measures yeah. are still in place. And, that must and, be occurring. These are some of the smartest public administrators in the world. That, that, that must have dawned on them that they need to move on. And they seem to be doing that. Mm, okay. Uh, a, a lovely story from the uh, European Union, Jack. A little bit of money passing hands. I've seen the photos. Have you seen the photos? They've actually got photos of the suitcases. Got a suitcase. Uh, Brown paper bag's not big enough. Yeah. Um, yes, I have seen that. And, uh, and look, you might just want to tell us what it's all about. It involves the World Cup host, Qatar, uh, offering money to um, EU um, uh, MEPs. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and that is to basically go slow on, on criticism of Qatar's basically industri- industrial affairs sort of policies. Indeed. And it involves a number of NGOs, and we'll get to one of them in a moment, which is quite sinister. But yeah, that's basically it, isn't it? Money it is. for money for um, uh, for good PR. Basically, that's right, um, uh, and for assistance in opening doors within the um, within Brussels, within the European Parliament, and within the EU itself. Um, the, the, the ones nothing, nothing clever about it. It's you know right back to the old-fashioned days of a suitcase full of cash. Yeah, and Eva uh, Kaili is the uh, is the sort of kind of sort of whistleblower. She was a, a vice president of uh, of the European Parliament uh, and uh, a member from Greece. Um, and she's come out and spoken about this, and and it would seem that the focus of the investigation now is is drawing on left wing members of the European Parliament. It seems to be, although that's a, that's a little bit unclear, and the and and the factions are in within the European Parliament are a little bit hard to read. Yeah, um, Eva Carly's husband, I think his name's Francesco Giorgi. Yes, um, who's an Italian, and, and and he actually works for an Italian member of the European Parliament. Plus, runs his own little sideline um, in a uh, in, in an NGO. Um, he has reportedly confessed to. Uh, I suppose if they find the suitcase under your bed, it's probably about time. Yeah, yeah. Well, you yeah, know what is that suitcase doing? The um, and, and and it is a push, as I say, for a lot of the NGOs to go very quietly on. And one of those NGOs, Jack, is the International Trade Union Confederation. Yes. And while there has been a great deal of talk, we'll talk about the World Cup shortly, um, but one of the big issues around the World Cup was the treatment of foreign workers in Qatar to help build the stadia and hotels and all these other all these other infrastructure um, uh, constructions that needed to be done, um, uh, and, and and there's been a great deal of criticism from various labour um, LABOUR groups around the world. But it would seem the International Trade Union Confederation is not one of them, Jack, who continue to go on about how Qatar's taking great steps towards um, uh, towards uh, providing a better workplace. Our very own Sharon Burrows, who from mm. the used to be at the ACTU, the yeah, president of the ACTU many years ago, a lovely, a lovely little interview clip in her new role as head of the was it the ICT, uh, ITUC, uh, yeah, I, ITCU, 
Um, uh, and uh, she was very much you know, telling us that we all we're being a bit hard on Qatar. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. And they've done this. Look, this was part of the Qatari propaganda that that, that one of the things that they had um, changed about the way in which foreign workers were employed in Qatar was that was that in the in, in their bad days uh, that an employee would need uh, the permission of the employer in order to leave the country. Yes. You know, it's led to a lot of rip-offs and so forth. Then they proudly claimed that they changed this, and, and they have, except to say the practice is still in place. So there's, mm. you know, it's law, the, 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 the legal enshrinement is gone, but in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of uh, all, all practicalities, uh, anyone who works uh, uh, for a construction company in Qatar um, still requires uh, still requires the permission of their employer before they can move on, and it, and it involves a lot of ripoffs. So, so when uh, Sharon Burrows, former president of the ACTE, uh, addressed this in a video, she was making a big a big claim about how this was a a huge reform, and really it hasn't been much of a reform at all. I guess there are two ways of looking at. Um, 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 uh, Basically, the Saudi Arabia and, and the Emirates and, and Qatar, etc., is that, and, and this is sort of the British mode, Jack. That any sort of little incremental change is a good thing, and maybe that's true to a point. I mean, you're never going to get a you know an overwhelming reform uh, of, of Saudi Arabia, for example, where they stop executing people in the streets and allow women to drive cars, which they which they currently do. This is just basically. One of those little incremental changes, but in practical terms, it doesn't really work out that way. Uh, so it's really quite um, quite interesting to look at Sharon Burrows, who is Labor with a U to the bootstraps, um, 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 congratulating the Qataris uh, for some of their reforms. Yeah, difficult position to be in, you know, in all fairness. Um, you go over there, you do some work, you, 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 you have some kind of success, um, you know, um, you, you kind of want to tap that success, don't you? Yeah, yeah, and, that, and that's what it is. I'm not suggesting anything more of um, Ms Barrows, but um, the ITUC, the International Trade Union Confederation, uh, unlike the ILO, the International Labour Organisation, have been, um, uh, ramping up Qatar's uh, credentials, uh, human rights and, and industrial uh, um, relations credentials, uh, while the ILO has not been. We've been very, very critical. That's the difference. Yep. Uh, Ukraine, Russia, Jack, uh, never far away from our minds. Uh, did you see the interview with uh, Igor Gherkin? Uh, no, I didn't, but I've, but I've read your notes on it. Um, yes, well, I mean, Gherkin is, for, for anyone who hasn't uh, seen or heard of him, he, he is uh, a, a former member of the GSB, that's the uh, KGB, um, uh, you know, current... Successor. Uh, yeah, the, the, the current body. Um, <coughs> a, an ultra-nationalist, uh, Minister of Defence in the Donetsk People's Republic, which is a puppet state of Russia, uh, and uh, he was interviewed saying that it was all a terrible mistake. He doesn't want to hang. He doesn't want to go to the Hague. Uh, he doesn't want to hang in Kiev, where he has been basically sentenced in absentia. Um, and he's just gone on to uh, 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 slam the, the, the Russian military. 
uh, and the Kremlin uh, and saying that uh, uh, Russia will be defeated uh, and uh, and the people who are running are in charge of the war have made a very grievous mistake and continue to lie to the Russian people. Indeed. Just to get an idea of this, uh, it's very difficult. There's a piece in the New York Times today where you've got sort of data journalists who are looking at um, just how badly this war has gone for Russia uh, uh, because the official figures are, the official figures from the Kremlin are that the Russians have lost just 3,000 soldiers, 3,000-odd soldiers since the invasion in February last week. Um, Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he said a month ago that Moscow's casualties were 100,000 Russian soldiers killed and wounded, a little bit more than the three, three and a half thousand. And you've got data people uh, sifting through, um, sifting through, um, sifting through the internet to basically try and get a better idea of it because the Kremlin is clearly not being very honest about this. Uh, well, and while all this is going, there's talk of um, of the Russians uh, sort of uh, doubling uh, doubling down on their offensive. My question, Jack, is how are they going to be able to do that with? With uh, with a with a Russian military, yes, they can fire off missiles, and yes, they can try and take down um, infrastructure, particularly around uh, electricity generation, and make uh, life as uncomfortable as they possibly can for the Ukrainians. But in terms of in terms of troop movements, I don't know that they have the numbers on the ground to do it anymore. Perhaps not. Um, the last I saw of the up-to-date maps which are pro- of, the, of the front, which are produced variously by the French and by the, the Brits, etc., yeah. yeah. it all looks like a bit of a stalemate at the moment. There's not much movement at all, really, one way or the other. I, I, look, I don't, there certainly won't be a whole lot of fighting over this period, over the next month or so, um, uh, just because of the winter. I mean, it's just mm. going to be too damn cold. Um <clears throat> But you know, at the same time, I don't know that the you know, basically the, the the first wave of Russian soldiers that went into the country include some of their special forces, include um, highly trained, um, uh, <laughs> include highly trained uh, professional soldiers. Now, it looks like you know it's going to be Dad's army, mm. uh, people getting uh, press ganged into service I, I, I cannot see how they can be I mean can we can we speculate on, on Jack can we speculate how devastating would it be for the Russians to be kicked back beyond their February invasion border how I, devastating I it would it be for the Kremlin from where they are today because they've suffered they've already suffered an abject defeat in terms of their war aims have, have, have failed to materialise um, so and and they've become a, a, a bit of an international pariah. So yeah, um, um, I mean it's, it's a catastrophe for Russia. It, it's a catastrophe, and and what I'm saying is that at, at least with well, Putin was still in charge, and I am speculating here, but but there would there is going to be some profound impact on the decision makers in Russia over this ultimately. And what hmm. I'm su- suggesting is that if, if Russia is a pariah state. Putin gets ousted one way or another. I mean, it may well be that the world has to deal with a you know with a chaotic Russia. You know, with that's Russia. certainly a possibility. Yes. Yeah, and, and you know, with for the, I think, for, the, for the second time in our lifetime, <clears throat> uh, and 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 with uh, 
and with, uh, I think, the world's second um, second largest number of nuclear weapons. So it's yes. you know it's one of those uh, devil you don't know sort of arguments um, where this is all going to land. All I'd say, uh, speculation aside, all I'd say is that you know we we were talking and we were doing podcasts, you and I, about this when when the Russians invaded in February, and we weren't alone. It was certainly the world view that this was going to be over in months, if not weeks. And it's quite extraordinary. I think it's the story of the year, really, that it just hasn't panned out that way at all. And, and uh, that after early gains, the Russians have been pushed back and, and now they are looking at a humiliating defeat. Yes. Well, I think they've already suffered a humiliating, humiliating defeat. Yeah. It's how, it's how the politics of that play out that's going to be really, really interesting over in 2023 and beyond. Even even if they can hold on to what they've got now, that's still a humiliating defeat. Well, they're going to want it. They're going to want, uh, you know, the Donbass, and and they're just not going to get it. I mean, they're just not in a position to negotiate. They're not in in a position of any strength. No. All right. The United States, Jack, now you would have shelled shelled out the, the 99 bucks for for an NFT of the Donald Trump in various superhero modes. You were, uh, and, and apparently they're worth about 80 bucks today. So they're not, <laughs> not going all that well. It's hard to know. That might be a factor of the whole NFT thing is collapsing. I saw a piece yes. in the paper that said that they were – a year ago, they stood at $23 billion and they're worth about $2.4 billion, yeah, the whole world market in NFT. Again, so. again, Jack, if people had to bother listening to us at the time, and we would have said, do not buy this junk. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I, I did enjoy the Trump announcement. Um, uh, the, I particularly liked the, him tearing open the, uh, the front of the shirt and exposing the Superman <laughs> chest uh, with the laser with eyes. With huge hands. Uh, He's got huge hands in these NFTs yeah, too, yeah, Jack. yeah. yeah. Uh, as opposed to the little tiny ones he he, he, uh, he actually gets around with. But uh, it's further evidence, isn't it, uh, of a mental disintegration with that man. Um, well, it's further evidence that he's, that he's on the way out. Yeah. You, you, you sent me a few things there, some, some early polling figures and what have you, um, showing that Republicans are shifting fairly, uh, fairly dramatically towards... Uh, uh, the Florida Governor DeSantis, uh, and away from Trump, and really it comes on the back of independent voters who take up, who make up a third of the vote uh, in the United States, really dropping off him. So there's really no way that that this guy proceeds, and uh, and all this sort of stuff has just got to be, you know, he needs money. He's got yeah. a whole. Well, I, I see. Um, I see uh, the Democrat Congressman Schiff, Adam Schiff, has has, uh, has said that he's seen enough evidence to believe that Trump should be charged with criminal offences in regard to the January 6th uprising. Um, but yeah, something... Adam, Adam Schiff's not a reliable correspondent. About oh, I wouldn't have thought so. But, no. uh, <laughs> but and, and look, it did run very hard in The Guardian today, um, but um, uh, and it didn't. Didn't didn't write a didn't write a mention of the New York Times, yeah. um, but um, Twitter's been very good about the whole NFT thing. Um, the, the bits, the two bits that I really liked is um, uh, was a comment. I don't know if I prefer this. This is the NFT uh, launch to massively fail or for the cultists 
to invest their entire 401ks, that's their superannuation. That's their super, in, yeah. In Trump's superhero NFTs oh, and go bust. I also see. like there's a great meme um, uh, going around on Twitter, which uh, was two photos side by side. One was the Trump Superman NFT, my personal favourite, the one I would give my $99 for. Yeah. Um, and it was right next to uh, Fonzie in his beloved leather, leather jacket <laughs> um, uh, on the water skis about to jump the shark. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it's just really, really bizarre. And, and it, uh, um, I was uh, having a look at uh, one of the uh, uh, cryptocurrencies, Jack, that's also just in free fall. It's not Bitcoin. Um, it's one of those just absolutely gone nowhere. Um, and a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people from the, shall we say, the um, cooker community have invested heavily in this stuff, really being dragged around, by, pulled around by the nose by um, by uh, influencers and what have you to get into um, to get into NFTs, but also crypto, and uh, they're just getting belted at the moment. Um, and uh, it, you know, well, it's it, it's the fools from the left and the right who've got into the uh, in, into the crypto. <laughs> well, it's it's one of those things, Jack. It's one of those things that that um, uh, cautious police officers from fraud squads tell us. You know, if it, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah. And and this is this is kind of where we are with uh, NFTs and all this kind of nonsense that was never going to that was never going to fly. Uh, meanwhile, Jack, the Wall Street Journal's got a poll on uh, on the Biden administration. Well, just on the economy and and confidence in it. Sixty five percent of respondents said the economy is headed in the wrong direction. While fifty-two percent, it will get worse. In fifty-two percent, said it will get worse in twenty twenty-three. Sixty-seven uh, percent of those polled, meanwhile, rate, rated the strength of the economy negatively compared with thirty-two percent who rated it positively. So there's an air of doom and gloom around the United States in economic terms, Jack. There is um, uh, same in the UK. Um, uh, same here. Andrew Neil wrote a very positive column in the Daily Mail um, at the weekend saying he thought that 2023 would be better than it currently looks like being. But um, the UK bears all the hallmarks of going back to the winter of discontent. You know, there are, the weather's bad, there are endless strikes, um, the cost of living's going up too fast. It, it all looks pretty gloomy. Cost of living and lots of things are variable, but you know, winter's not, Jack. You know, you, t- <laughs> you know, well, it's, you a partic- it's a particularly the- cold winter, which makes the the morale uh, a little bit lower. I think is the answer. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. I think that's it. I mean, look, the uh, uh, the US um, uh, cost of living um, uh, fact that uh, the, the cost of living indicator is, is basically showing inflation in the in the most recent quarter assessed uh, going down. Uh, uh, petrol prices aren't uh, aren't anywhere near what they uh, were um, post Russian invasion, um, so they're probably you know I, I understand that people people looking at long hard winters, uh, perhaps in the Midwest or on the East Coast might be saying, well you know this looks awful, but the the, the economic figures aren't that bad. No, they're not, they're not great, but they're not that bad either. Yeah, well, they seem to be going in the right direction, if slowly. Yeah. Now, if you ever wanted to uh, 
wanted, wanted to feel better about ourselves. There's, uh, there's only one way to do that, I think, Jack, or the best way to do that is to look, to, to get your Netflix app open and start having a look at the Harry and Megan stuff, Jack, because isn't there just, there's nothing, there's nothing more enlightening to look at, in my view, than watching rich, privileged people complain about their terrible lives. Uh, as a mate said to me the other day, every silver lining has a cloud. <laughs> so <laughs> we get Harry and Megan, and, and it just seems to be just full of gripes, most of which don't exist. They've had to use footage, um, uh, basically um, a file footage because they couldn't make the footage uh, that they're talking about work for them in terms of, in terms of complaints and so forth. Um, <coughs> they are the most relentlessly miserable duo um, you'd ever see. It must be an exhausting way to live, to be, to be sort just, of forced to it, There's just There cannot be a moment of fun in there, Jack. No. Because no. you're constantly saying, look, we've been just treated terribly. Uh, my favourite moment uh, watching uh, a bit of the show um, was when Harry was talking about what a success the wedding was and all of a sudden his face started to light up and you know, how great it was with big crowds. Happy memories. All that sort of stuff. Um, uh, and Megan got him straight back on the, <laughs> on, on the straight and narrow boat telling him well, it was worse when I was pregnant. You know? Oh, yes. Because, you know, um, and, and that was, uh, you know, they're essentially claiming that Buckingham Palace got the colour chart out, Jack. When uh, when she went, got the uh, got the uh, the Dulux colour chart and were finding their way through the fawn and brown areas uh, to, to, yeah. to try and figure out what uh, what colour the child would be. I mean, it's just Any, awful. Anybody, everybody, I've got a biracial son, uh, and anybody I know who's got biracial kids. Of course you have some curiosity as to whether your son's going to look more Chinese or more European, you know. And, and indeed, what happens as they grow up, they, they veer, veer from one to the other. There are times when they look Chinese and there are times when they look European. And this is just natural curiosity. Yeah, but I mean, um, um, but in, in, in Buckingham Palace terms, Jack, for Harry and Meghan, it is sign of systemic racism. You know, yes, I know. <laughs> uh, 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 look, uh, I'd, I'd love to see some figures. You got any available? How, how many people are downloading this stuff? I well, the figures, the figures are pretty good. Uh, for a show that hasn't got much substance, so they've got a lot of viewers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't say. Besides having to pay those two, um, a, a, quite a large amount of money. <laughs> I think it was $10 million, wasn't it? Um, $10 million US. Um, uh, besides having to pay them, there's, there's very little, very, very little in terms of the production budget there. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They had to pull out a bit of file footage for for, for uh, various uh, various things there. They had to buy that, um, and then basically just setting up setting up the cameras at uh, wherever they live now. I think they're living Montecito. in Montecito. Yeah, that's right. They're Mont- Montecito. They bought they bought the new place. They were able to live in someone else's mansion for a while there. That, yeah, rent free. Um, yeah, you have to go back. Nice, to, uh, nice, uh, nice work uh, if you can get it, Jack. Yeah, you, you go back and look at what happened to the Duke and Duchess of Windsor after the abdication, and they were kind of celebrity superstars, although they weren't called that in those days, for a little while after the abdication. 
but it all faded eventually. Um, well, because, with, the, what, because, with the Nazism and all. Yeah, yeah well, that, that's true. And all, and all Harry did was wear a swastika to a fancy dress party. Yeah, yeah, that, um, was, uh, that was just made up. But uh, Edward, I think, Edward the Eighth, he, he, might, have he, had, he might have had the gear in the cupboard, yeah. yeah he might have been the real deal. Um, but once you get over that first sugar hit from, well, isn't it terrible that you've been forced out, et cetera, et cetera, um, there's nothing there. There's, the, 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 there's no business model left. There's well, no. Well, they weren't forced out. They, they left. Yes. You know, yes. They, they, these are people who seem incapable of understanding consequence, Jack. Yes. You know, you walk yes. out of, and and they're still on. They're still isn't is he still on a on a quid or has that been from from uh, from the Windsors? You know. Oh, well, I don't know. Don't know. And, and he's got significant property holdings and all those sorts of things anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Look, uh, and he inherited uh, forty million from his mum, so you know he's not badly off. When you look around the time, world, it's perhaps time for us to stop feeling sorry for them, Jack. Yes. Yeah. Well, it'd be time for them to stop feeling so feeling sorry for, for, them, themselves. for themselves. First yeah, up, first it's, just up. A, it's just a bit, bit. It's uh, just a bit much. Haven't watched the show. It's on Netflix. If you if you're that keen, listeners, check it out. But you will you will. I, I, I'm tipping that you will leave. Uh, I'll finish watching that episode feeling vaguely unsatisfied. Um, uh, the Thursday that's been called. It's actually been called the Thursday Night Massacre. Jack Twitter. Uh, yeah. When 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 Elon who is. Fast becoming a drooling paranoid. Punted, well, how many journalists? Five or six? Might have been more. Yeah, yeah. I just loved the fact they called it a massacre. <laughs> it's a Thursday night massacre. It's yeah. actually got a Wikipedia entry, Jack, already. Yeah, um, it has, yeah. Um, so uh, it was, look, there, there are various sites on Twitter and around on social media, Facebook, Instagram and so forth, that monitor private jet um, uh, flights. Uh, and you can actually, that's quite amusing. I've looked at them myself. You know, you, you find some of these rappers and so forth going, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll fly from San Francisco to, to LA or uh, they might even fly, you know, 10 minutes in the air and, 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 and these sites will calculate how much they've cost, how much fuel they've burnt and all that sort of or, stuff. Or, or Leo DiCaprio flying halfway around the world to a climate change conference, you know? Yeah, yeah, all that sort of stuff. So, so this stuff's been around for a while. And some of the journalists who were banned, not all of them, it must be said, uh, were actually linking um, uh, messages on Twitter uh, uh, that, would, uh, that would link to uh, Elon's uh, use of private jets, and he reckons that's doxing. He went on to say that his son was was stalked by um, by someone um, uh, in LA uh, to the point where the the, the stalker has leapt on the bonnet and so forth. And the LAPD came forward and said. And we don't have any reports on uh, that at the moment. <laughs> you, you've got to give our listeners the name of the son. Yeah, uh, well, he, he called him. Uh, he called him X Two, I think, on Twitter. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's um, X. And, and I, I just wonder, Jack, has he, has he gone off the? Has he gone off the edge? <laughs> I think with the thing just before you answer that, I think the thing that might have got him was the hashtag Space Karen. Which I just loved. Um, yeah, that yeah. he is space Karen. Has he lost the plot, Jack? Because oh, I don't know. It'll, it'll all come out in the wash in the end. Uh, 
yeah, I think the, the people who sort of, look, I mean, look, it's not a good thing to be suspending journalists for no good reason. But he said, he claimed it was doxing. I don't know. There's the, I think, the I think almost on all back on thin. now anyway, so... Um, yeah, there's a couple of couple of who who have uh, Alberman, uh, the um, uh, Keith Alberman, who's the uh, the NSBC uh, panel show host, or not panel show, but but well, show he was. host. Yeah, he well he's he, he was a Twitter user. He's he's not back on. He's, he's no, but he's he was an MS, MSNBC panel host. Um, he got sort of the flick from uh, from MSNBC for being oh, a raving he's nutter. On, he's not on air anymore. No, no, because he's a raving nutter, which which <laughs> means to me that you should leave him on Twitter because Keith Olbermann's Twitter feed was often worth a look. If he wanted the craziest possible take on a current news story, he could give it to you. Yeah, well, we'll keep it all right, Elon. It's a difficult time for a lot of people uh, over Christmas and uh, he might be feeling a bit la- sad and lonely, but, yeah, Space Karen, that's got to hurt. Uh, meanwhile, Jack in the United Nations uh, representing us all. Um, it's actually a good story, good news story, this one. The Islamic Republic of Iran was just expelled from the UN Women's Rights Commission, votes 29 to 8 with 16 abstentions. Um, hats off. Hats yeah, off to the UN. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that, that who voted against uh, Bangladesh, Belize, Botswana, Congo, um, Oh, sorry, no, they, they, they abstained. The ones who the ones who voted against the expulsion were Bolivia, China, China, Zimbabwe, Russians, Oman, Nigeria, Nicaragua, and Kazakhstan. Some of the world's uh, some of the world's um, uh, uh, <coughs> um, shall we say um, 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 uh, well uh, some of the harsher in harsher harsher regimes around the world there. Nicaragua was all over the place. Nigeria too. Oman, yes. Um, but but even even some people who would naturally be um, a little bit sort of favourably inclined to the Iranians just abstained. Yes, yeah, so Australia not in that vote, of course, because we are not uh, on the um, uh, the UN Women's Rights Commission. Um, but uh, those countries that were. Um, uh, Afghanistan, we haven't got a vote for them, um, but um, I'm not quite sure what happened there. But uh, common sense prevailed. Uh, yeah. That's what we can say there. So well done and a, a uh, rare piece of praise for the United Nations. Jack Certainly is rare for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> World Cup uh Absolutely stunning final. If I'm a little shabby today and my mind's not exactly uh, like a well-oiled machine, it's because I waited up and watched a, a magnificent final, uh, one of the greatest sporting uh, competitions I've seen. Uh, it's a great three- success, wasn't it, the World Cup? The whole, the whole thing was a, was a huge success. Well, uh, yes and no, but 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 certainly the final and the outcome has. Oh, I has, thought the group. I thought the group stages were were excellent as well. Oh, the soccer. The, the, I've got no no complaints whatsoever about the game. You know, so, as I say, FIFA called soccer, um, but uh, that's that's my little joke. Um, uh, uh, the final was just, it was astonishing. Um, uh, Messi scored twice. Uh, played a role, another goal. So he, he kicked the three Argentine goals and. And uh, and the French uh, uh, the French star Mbappe kicked uh, kicked the hat trick. So at the end of extra time, three all. Then they go into a penalty shootout. It gets very very tough at that stage. And Argentina 
Argentina won 4-2 in the penalty kick out, uh, in the penalty shootout. Um, and uh, it means it's just confirmed Lionel Messi as the greatest player, certainly of his generation, if not of all time. Yeah, I'm always um, a, a, a bit. Well, it's a fairy tale. About, it's a it's yeah. an absolute fairy tale yeah. ending to a career, isn't it? Yeah, I'm always a bit dubious about people saying that someone's the greatest of all time. He's the best of the current lot, is how I would put it. Our best football of the generation has been around for a very, very long time. Um, yes, and uh, look, yeah, look, I'm not going to say congratulations to the host nation. Um, the soccer was sensational. The, the football itself was sensational, as you say. Um, um, uh, the, the qualifying rounds uh, provided us plenty. You had really two uh, countries that weren't considered to, to go deep into into the comp, playing off the third and fourth, Serbia and, and uh, um, uh, Well, that's Morocco. a bit hard on Croatia. They made the final last time, so... Well, yeah, look, I mean, it probably is unsimple, but no one had them, you know, getting in there ahead of Brazil. No one had yeah. them getting in there across Germany. We did have a couple of shambles or disgraces along the way, including Germany. Yeah, and, and to be fair, the Croatian, their, you know, their, their, their talisman player, uh, the great Luka Modric, was another four years older and, you know, yeah. and looking to be past his best, really, but he was terrific in the, in the tournament, you know. And yeah. great in the three v oh, three v fourth playoff. They had they, they had a very good tour, tournament, and uh, and and uh, I guess uh, the Qataris their own team didn't do all that well. Look, we've got a sort of the, the counterpoint to what happened in the World Cup, the uh, the fairy tale for Lionel Messi, um, uh, an unlucky France uh, you know, just falling short, all that sort of stuff. The counterpoint to all of this is what took place. Uh, what took place in Melbourne on uh, on Saturday night with uh, crowd with a crowd uh, invasion of the pitch, um, uh, <coughs> a goalkeeper injured, someone throwing a uh, bucket full of sand, uh, causing an immediate laceration, quite serious laceration to his face, uh, a concussion. The referee was also jostled, uh, and a Channel Ten cameraman was also injured. Um, Jack. It just takes you back to the bad old days of soccer in Australia, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I think I said a, a week or two ago, um, an English friend was talking up the Australians' prospects of getting out of the group. He says, look, they're Aussies. They'll be well-drilled, well-organised, they'll be hard fit, and they'll give it a real crack. And that's true. that was true of our national team, but is not true of the game in Australia. None it's of not, those things are true. It's, it's not well drilled. It's not well organised, um, and it's not hard. Yeah, protesters from Melbourne Victory were uh, were inspired by um, uh, the decision made by Football Australia to to play the uh, the next three grand finals uh, in Sydney, and they said to be most upset. So they were riled about that, hurling flares. What is it with bloody soccer soccer spectators and and flares, Jack? What is going on there? Um, yeah, it's t- time to get into the straight leg pants, really, isn't it? <laughs> very, very funny, mate. Yes, very good. Um, but yeah, earlier, oh, that's how it started. And, and I noticed the, uh, the the managing director of uh, of uh, Melbourne Victory was saying, "Oh, yes, perhaps the, if the goalkeeper didn't throw that flare back into the crowd, there wouldn't have been the pitch invasion." And you go, "Yeah, really, really not seeing that as the uh, as as where the problem no. lies." Um, and 
Well, I reckon this, I'll make it nice and loud and any Melbourne Victory player, supporter and probably quite a few lunatics among them, I can't see any reason why they why that team should be in the competition. No, I do they the same be expelled, thing. They should be expelled from the competition. Yep. <laughs> what are the other? Shut it, shut it down. What are the other the things available to football associated to, 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 to football Australia, I should say? Um, that would be, you know, they can play with their crowds. Um, they'd be lose points in the competition. Um, uh, I, 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 I can't see. I think basically, I, you know, as you say, shut it down, shut the club down, and and let that be. Put everyone on notice. This is what will happen. Well, you, you, you turned out for a, a fair few years in the the old Victorian Amateur Football Association. Mate, and they straight, used out, to have a straight out of the comp, if you've got if you, anything like that happened, where, where a referee or an umpire was, was threatened, straight out of the comp. Because they had a few clubs who caused a few problems like yeah, that. We did have a few blokes from those some of those clubs when they when the clubs disintegrated, came and played with us. It was a very colourful experience. Um, but yeah, that's what you got to do. Yes, I, 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 I think there's no other way forward. I, I, offer, I, offer, offer the franchise to somebody else. Get some money for it. Yeah, um, yeah. Can't see, can't see any problem with that whatsoever. Uh, and of course. That goes in hand with the police investigation that must charge those responsible for the pitch yes. invasion and for the for the assaults and quite serious assaults that, that occurred afterwards. Jack, I watched this. I watched this uh, with uh, with real joy on uh, on Friday night. This was the Sydney Thunder all out for fifteen. Yeah, uh, I, in a big I, I had, um, game I had one more I was in the pub and I had one more beer just to see how they'd go. And before I finished my beer, it was all over. It was <laughs> 10 for 15. 10 for 15. Off, uh, I think, 35 balls. It was 5.5 yeah. overs. Yeah, uh, one so, beer. So terrible strike rate for a star. You know, terrible. Uh, and and uh, and uh, uh, I think the bowler, Hoggett, who came in at 10, he top scored with four. Um, uh, the bowlers, uh, I think uh, Wes Agar got uh, four for six and uh, Thornton got uh, five for three. Uh, it's just an astonishing rate. They batted last night, the Thunder, and got 160-odd. Um, uh, but this was this reminded me, if you, you know, I've seen quite a few scorebooks from the under-12s, under-14s, under-16s yeah, in It did time. look a lot like that, didn't it? It yeah. did look – I mean, if I saw it the under-12s, I'd sort of pull the coach aside and say, "What's going on there? What do we need? What do we, what do we need to do?" Yeah, um, yeah, I thought the coach was pretty good. What he said was, "Thank God we've got a fast turnaround. You wouldn't want to sit around and think about this for too long." You wouldn't um, want to, but either, look, would you, you? You're going bad when I can't even finish a small bottle of James Bogues <laughs> um, uh, while your whole innings goes under. You know, <laughs> it was the most amazing scorecard you'll ever see for professional cricketers. That's mm. where you have to make the distinction there. It's not the under-12s at Menangatang. This is this is professional cricketers blasted out for 15. And, of course, that leads us to the two-day test at the Gabba Jack uh, all over. Oh, did you, did you see, the, see the pitch before the start of play? It was one of those ones where you walked <laughs> across the ground, you couldn't work out where the pitch was, you know? Oh, that's, what Manny, that's what Manny Hayden said. It just looked like they'd, they'd made a strip of the outfield. Yeah. Um, and, and, it, and it was taking dings and so forth. Now, um, Peter Lawler came on to the uh, Channel Seven commentary uh, late in the uh, late in the late in the day yesterday um, with this kind of report that he believed the ICC will rate this 
rate this wicket as poor. Uh, and there are a number of triggers for that. I think if you get to is it three, poor, it in, wasn't. It wasn't that good. It was worse than poor. Uh, well, 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 that's their that's their rating system. So one of one of those uh, criteria is. Um, uh, criterion is to, is that basically is was there excessive excessive um, um, uh, seam and it would sort of tick that box. So I'd be rated as poor, and and how that works is that over if you get three pours in five years, basically you lose the test. You know the the the, the, the Gabba would not be able to host that. It had a pour four years ago, so there's a bit of an issue there. Um, and uh, the weather was, in Brisbane can be a little bit variable um, uh, over this the summer. Time of year, that's true. Yeah, yeah but, but that's that's a poor performance. It really was. Yeah, it wasn't great. And uh, and I I I also uh, what caught my ears was uh, Justin Langer also saying that when when the Australian cricket side come to the Gabba to play, they basically have to. Uh, train that, that it, it's considered almost contrary to the normal conditions around Australia. So yeah. that was a big thing. Um, look, um, uh, fantastic catching to Steve Smith. Oh, this um, the, the, the big fella in the gully is an absolute gem. He's got the big hands, mate. He's a, he's a large, he's large unit. Um, um, and um, Travis Head, uh, the ninety-two. That you know that that's as, that's as good as one hundred and fifty elsewhere. Um, and uh, he's really started to fit in that side. He's been doing this now for two seasons, two test seasons, coming in and playing that um, that aggressive role at number five. Um, and, and what about our little mate Davey? He needs some runs in Melbourne, doesn't he? Uh, the end's coming quickly, isn't it? It's just those hands and, the, you know, it can just creep up in you. And the hands, the eyes, they just don't work quite as fast. And the feet. Mm. And they're playing a very good attack. Grabata... Um, he took took the wickets. Nortier is uh, very fast, consistently fast. I'd like to see him in the field all day and see how long he's able to um, uh, keep those paces up. But um, it's a very good pace attack that they're facing. The batting is South African batting is very brittle. Um, but um, um, but uh, we hope we we'll get a better wicket in Melbourne. We can both have a good look. It's uh, we, we can all see just how well. The Australian side is going, leading in the rankings at the moment. Uh, so there we are, Jack. Um, a full weekend of sport, including a bloody near riot at uh, what do they call it? The Melbourne, the, the, the Melbourne um, the rectangular stadium. I, yeah, I forget that, who's that, sponsoring it now. That, that sort of weird-looking thing out near the tennis centre. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So uh, yeah. So we had a full range of sport, Jack, and you've got something to take us out. Two things. Um, uh, we said what would happen. People were asking what would happen to Boris Johnson after he uh, ceased to be Prime Minister of the United more ho- Kingdom. I was predicting more holidays in Antigua. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, uh, they, they say he's, the, the reports he's earned a million quid um, uh, in speeches uh, since in the short time since he ceased to be Prime Minister. And this is what we thought would happen. Remember when we, we looked at what people were paying to listen to Theresa May and people like that speak. Um, and she's she she would send anybody to sleep. And Boris <laughs> is at least funny. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so, he's a good public speaker. Um, yeah. it, 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 it's perhaps you know it must be a little daunting for Scott Morrison too, because 
you know, I don't think there'll be too many people paying him uh, no, large amounts no, of money he, to speak. He, he, he won't be earning a million quid um, uh, in the first six months of next year. And also, the other thing I saw is a, a lovely old story um, from an American uh, journalist. Um, uh, he, he was driving his car one day and he picked up a hitchhiker and the hitchhiker said, um, he, he asked if I wasn't worried that he might be a serial killer. And, and the journalist says, well, like, nah. I mean, what are the chances of there being two serial killers in old, the same car at the same time? You there know? you go. It's, that is an oldie bit of goodie, Jake. Let me tell you, that is a true crime evergreen, that one. Yes. Um, uh, so it may not be, maybe your journalist made, or the journalist you're referring to, might have just made that one up. But, yeah, quite um, possibly, but it's a great story. It is, yeah, it's not bad, it's not bad, but uh, look, uh, nothing's going to get uh, any better than Kamala because she's on fire. Oh, I've lost, um, I've lost well, my Kamala. Let me help you out hang here. on, hang on, hang on, I've got it here. Um, yeah, yeah, here it is. Uh, hang this on, is Kamala hang on. I just want to do speech. a sort of drum roll here on, on the quote. This is Kamala Harris, Vice President of the United States. We, ha- we have the ability to see what can be unburdened by what has been and then to make the possible actually happen. Um, What's that? What are we talking, 40 words without, what, without a semblance of meaning? <laughs> and all I can say is if she doesn't get a spot on the ticket for the next election in 2024, she's not the presidential candidate or the vice presidential candidate, there's a future for her at Hallmark Cards. <laughs> there is too. That's that's the kind of mindless rubbish you do get on on greeting cards. Yes, well done, Jack. Well said. And that's a wrap for us, and indeed a wrap for us on as we record on the nineteenth of December. A wrap for us for the year. We're going to take a week off next week, and we will be back uh, back uh, on the airwaves uh, probably second week of January. I don't know. It might even be the first one, Jack. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we'd like to. Uh, thank our listeners for hanging with us. We've changed the formats a bit throughout the year. Uh, we've gone to a, uh, a combination uh, overseas and domestic news, and we hope you continue to enjoy the program. Look forward to all your feedback. You know how to get hold of me on Twitter, DMs, or uh, through the conditional release program at gmail.com. Uh, and, Jack, I'd like to like you, uh, and uh, I'd like to wish you a, a very happy Christmas uh, over, the next, uh, over the next week or so. Uh, and uh, and the same to our listeners. I hope uh, you'll all be up uh, and uh, having ripped the top off your first stubby at around about uh, ten thirty for uh, on the Boxing Day for the cricket. Yeah, well, that's, I'll be spending a fair bit of time watching the Boxing Day test, and I hope all our listeners are as well. Yeah. Happy Christmas, everybody. Good on you. Thanks. See you, mate, and see you, listeners. Have a great and safe time over the Christmas period.